The Car Guys Report informed automotive is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine Opie show. This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. We have a big guest on the phone, a Susan Bennett, the voice of Siri. We're big fans. We listen to you every day. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you just went into a recording studio and recorded stuff. The type of recordings that I did and, and all the other people like Alexa and Cortana, all the others, these are called IVR recordings, interactive voice response. And the scripts were made up of these phrases and sentences that were created just for sound. It's like, uh, Fossa, ask Fossa, ask Fussy, or Schist, fresh issue today. <laughs> hey, hold on. You could swear. You could swear all yeah. you want if you want yeah. to say it. So it was, uh, it was really, really crazy. Now, do you have an iPhone? Yes. You know, the very first time I talked to Siri, I said, hi, Siri, what are you doing? And she very disgustedly responded. I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I was like, oh, sorry, sorry to bother you. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is like a Twilight Zone yeah, episode. Right. This, this is awesome. <laughs> Can you cut Rick and Dave a promo right now in Serio voice? Like, no, how- not without money. The Tony Lasano <laughs> Podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Rick, Dave, how do you think I'm going to keep my place in Palm Beach okay. without charging money for these things? Radiomisfits.com. Following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Reports Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Certainly glad to have you along. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable, and uh, we're back for yet another episode of the Car Guys Report. And uh, Lou and I were just chatting before uh, we went on the air here. Uh, we ran into each other uh, this uh, past weekend at a Cars and Coffee event, and just goes to show you that, of course, uh, Lou and I are dyed-in-the-wool car guys. We're always out and about checking out uh, things with uh, tires and motors and all kinds of interesting things like that. And, Lou, uh, first of all, you just made it here uh, on time. You had a little bit of tire trouble today. Uh, maybe uh, talk just briefly about that to shows that uh, just to show the audience that even car guys like us are not immune to getting a nail in our tire every now and then. <laughs> Started the day with the tire indicator low warning light on. Not a good way to start on a Monday, especially, right? Well, (laughs) immediately jumped out of the car, did the full 360 look around, and the back tire looked a little low. I brought it to the tire dealer. The tire dealer filled it up. They couldn't find it just visually. I said, you know what? Why don't we take the tire off, just do a visual inspection? Sure enough, there it was, quote-unquote, in the sidewall. So... Uh, a new tire is now mounted, and we are ready for episode 18. <laughs> and one of those judgment calls, I think, whether it was truly in the sidewall or not. But uh, they always going to err on the side of caution. But uh, they, err, they err on the side of their value. You know, exactly. Well, that's <laughs> it's a nice way of saying they're looking out for your safety, but they're also looking out for their bottom line. So, um, you know, when we ran into each other at the Cars and Coffee, you were you were doing two things I wanted to touch on briefly. Um, and this first thing, you, you weren't even sure what the difference was, but you were all excited to get some video of it to show your friend. There was a, a Trans Am there that has the, um, and most Trans Ams uh, are recognizable because they have what's called the shaker hood scoop uh, sticking out of the middle of the hood. And usually on the Trans Ams, they have some sort of nomenclature on them. And sometimes they say TA, and sometimes they could say TA 6.6, which is obviously the uh, moniker for the engine size. And you were wanted to get a picture. Was it the 6.6 you wanted to get 
get in the picture that you took? Well, I believe the two, we're talking about a 78, I believe, 77, 78. And, and true Pontiac fans can email us and give us the details. But I was sharing that there's a 6.6 liter and then there's a TA 6.6 mm-hmm. liter. And my friend was debating me saying there's no such thing as a TA 6.6 liter. And I said, well, the next time I see one, I'm going to snap off a picture and and that's Sunday. what you did. So that's what I was doing. And did you get I, any feedback from him yet? No. It's, uh, I got a, a, a ghost email out there that I'm still <laughs> waiting for, or a ghost uh, text out there that I'm still waiting for any type of... Uh, and obviously the 6.6 would be the 400 cubic inch uh, engine um, that was pretty much the standard except for the super duties they made back in the early uh, years of the 455. And I don't think they did the 455 pretty much after the, the, the early to mid-70s. They didn't do it in 78. They were just doing the 400. And I think they even put in some a 403 at some point that might have been the Oldsmobile engine well they remember point. too they had like that 4.9 turbo version yeah. in 79 or something and like that. that's when GM was starting to 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 put other divisions engines in their cars so you would half the time get an Oldsmobile engine in your Chevy and then and it's a, a big point of contention too because a lot of the people that are the Pontiac people obviously it's good that to know that your Pontiac actually has a Pontiac engine in it. And there's just tons of information online about that, but, uh, interesting. And if we find out, um, anything from Lou's friend, or you can al- always e- email us here at the car guys report, it's car guys report at hotmail.com. If you're a Pontiac expert and you know the difference between the TA and the TA 6.6 on that shaker hood, let us know because we just don't know everything. And we're always willing to learn more here on the car guys report. And also Lou, I wanted to touch briefly too there was a, a batmobile um at this uh, uh cars and coffee and you were all of a sudden i know you're like the batmobile geek and i just kind of wanted to showcase maybe some of your geekiness and nerdiness yeah thanks <laughs> with your with your knowledge of yeah, the ex- batmobile ex- excel at my car geekiness <laughs> yes so so we started having uh, discussions about uh, the batmobile and the batmobile as i understand it and i'm sure there's batmobile people who know more than i do there's actually on the 66 movie, if you got that on DVD, there's a little section called the Batmobile. So it's kind of one of those after the movie kind of sections you can look at. But as I understand it, at least, there were five Batmobiles. The Batmobile number one was the one that sold at Barrett Jackson for $4.2 million. I like to tell people it sold for $4.6 million. I was just going to correct, yeah. I was going to add that because you got to add the buyer's premium. Yeah, and, and I don't know about you, but 400000 to me seems like a lot of money that I should be adding exactly. as a total cost of ownership. Yes. So that's Batmobile number one. And uh, as I understand it, and I did meet George Barris the day before they sold it, and you know it was just different from what you saw on the, vit, on the show. Uh, we're talking about the 66 Batmobile. Because it was, uh, you know, he continued to improve it. I mean, it had a different engine from the show, et cetera. Uh, and I don't even know if it was improve it, but put marker lights on it and things like that. So secondly, then there was supposedly a Batmobile number two, three, and four that were almost kind of one-off Batmobiles for, you know, this one's got a ram on the front of it, so it knocks open a door and different things like that. And then Batmobile number five, as I understand it, was just a show pony. So it was a car built afterwards, never was really Just to go on tour, like for promos yeah, and stuff. It was an, it was an on-tour show, show car. So that's that's what we were seeing. I guess it was in Harrisburg at Meekums or something like that, or Barrett-Jackson, and supposedly sold out there. And this gentleman has uh, paperwork on it with George Barris' signature saying that it's number five. So we were uh, going around the car, let's say, and I was describing to him parts that were in the 66 uh-huh. show. and. I was describing things like there were no side marker lights on it and 
you know, there were grills over the headlights and his didn't have that. But uh, the bottom line is we both loved the car. And we were like two seven-year-olds jumping up and down the fact that like, there was even one there. Sure. And this is a steel body because there's actually fiberglass body ones that come out of Indiana, as I understand. And they make some wonderful cars that, you know, dead-on replicas. And they're just sold strictly as replicas, though. And the mm-hmm. car that, yeah. that we had seen on Saturday was... Um, an actual what you would call steel body yeah yeah like like the actual one of the actual more or less batmobiles yeah. not a, not a replica or, or or better known as a barris custom that's part of the the entourage of the five and with those the, those five that you're talking about would they still all be lincoln futuros underneath or did they change that as the as the you know, the, they made more of them. Yeah. Well, the Lincoln Futuro, the 55 Lincoln Futuro, if you went to, I think it's called uh, something uh, uh, with a kiss and Debbie Reynolds. So if you went Batmobile, Debbie Reynolds, Google this and put in, uh, uh, I think it was called Start With a Kiss or some kind of movie, movie. back with okay. Glenn Ford also mm-hmm. is in it. They'll show you the red Lincoln Futuro. And when you see it, it's unmistakable. That, that you is go, the Batmobile. Cow, that's the Batmobile. Yeah, what you it know, became. Convert it to it. So there was only one of those. That okay. was a prototype. So that's why Batmobile number one was made after that. And then the rest of them were bodied, fendered chunks of steel that some of them didn't have anything in the trunk and so forth and so on. So they just weren't really based on anything else? No, that you like. For example, there's one time when you know Batman runs through a wall with the Batmobile, and it's got a bat ram on it. So I think they basically took a tow hitch and put it on the front end with a with a big padded you know bat symbol symbol on yeah. it, and blasted a door. So, which is awesome, by the way. I mean, I highly recommend doing that if I had a Batmobile. You know. What kind of power plant was in those cars then? Like the one that we, that that we had seen at the Cars and Coffee. Do you know? I mean, is it some sort of V8? Or? He doesn't even know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a V8. Yeah. To answer your question question i mean we're, we're not talking about a dynamically exciting car yeah it's yeah not, i mean who really cares what kind of engine it has in it you're looking at the body and yeah the fact that i mean it's it a could be a ford it could be a chevy yeah. and they're going to stuff whatever's under the hood yeah. at the time as long as it powers it and gets it along it's probably we're talking four disc brakes which is why if you've ever seen it stop it kind of noses into the ground yeah i mean so you mean drums yeah okay you said discs, oh, it, so yeah yeah no not discs. yeah Unless yeah. you really get your good fiberglass <laughs> one. Get your Woolwoods on there. You got the cornering back. That'll, those will be the ones that'll uh, put yeah. you through the windshield. That's for the sure. one. That's the one Lou should have. So keep subscribing <laughs> to the YouTube channel, My Car Story with Lou, and let's get Lou a 66 Batmobile. And ladies and gentlemen. brakes on it and a, and a real jet rear end on it. And ladies and gentlemen, that just shows you that Lou does know a lot about the Batmobile. Thank you yeah, uh, for clarifying clear. some of that. Yeah, all this um, infinite wisdom. One of the interesting cars, too, I always like to touch on this, is cars that uh, either you and I see actually on the streets, not at a car show or whatever. And I just saw, I don't know what the deal was, because it wasn't any kind of advertising uh, vehicle or anything. I saw it in motion, so I don't know if it was a a wrap job or if it was painted. But it looked to be a, a C5 series Corvette, so early 2000s. And it was painted like a cow. It was white with black spots (laughs) spots <laughs> it was pretty crazy an ice cream vehicle i don't know what it was but it, to do that to a corvette it's probably the fastest cow around but it was interesting i did see that on the roads the other day so i definitely wanted to uh so called a cow vet cow vet exactly yeah i think that's what i wrote down right here see cow vet Very spotted nice. i did Very it nice. so yeah i wanted to make mention of that if you like to uh if you like what we're doing here on the car guys report please make mention of it to your friends the car guys report it's 
It's available online at radiomisfits.com. You can follow us on Twitter at CarGuysPodcast. And also, please email us. We're always looking for your uh, feedback, your questions, your comments, and even uh, attaboys, you know, a, a pat on the back for what we do here on the Car Guys Report. Our email is CarGuysReport at Hotmail. Com, and we'll be looking for uh, any correspondence that you wish to uh, send to us uh, email-wise. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. You are listening to the uh, Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Uh, you know, Lou, we've, uh, we will be talking at some point in one of the later episodes about the new C8 Corvette, the mid-engine design that's been you know rumored for years and years, and it's finally coming out. But a lot of people may not know that uh, aside from the Fiero, which people probably forgot about, uh, that was a mid-engine design that, that uh, uh, Pontiac made, GM, uh, back in the uh, 80s. And there was another uh, mid-engine car that you may not have remembered, and it wasn't sold here, but it was sold uh, through GM's uh, Opel division in Germany called the um, Opel Speedster. Mm. And uh, I don't know if you've... Uh, have you ever... Uh, done a video on um my car story with lou on a lotus elise i have a lotus elise uh yes because that's basically the car the uh opal speedster was based off of okay uh at the time when the elise came out uh gm was uh an owner or the owner of lotus and uh now, you know, Lotus and Aston Martin are those companies that they go from owner to owner to owner. And usually at some point in their history, you know, the one of the big car companies would have owned them like Ford when they owned Aston Martin and GM when they owned Lotus. And I think I don't know who owns Lotus. Now. I don't know if they're a struggling private concern, kind of like Aston Martin is right now or whatever. But I just wanted to throw that out just because I wanted to throw it out. But um the first generation um, Elise was, they call it a highly innovative, lightweight, developed on a tiny budget, and um, it was uh, bankrolled by uh, GM at the time. So GM wanted to uh, do something to kind of spice up Opel's image, and they uh, proposed a partnership with Lotus to share in the development of two mid-engine sports cars. And uh, the S2 Elise was the uh, car that came out at the same time as the uh, Opel Speedster. And they weren't identical. The bodywork was a little different. Mechanically, they were probably pretty much the same. GM used an Ecotec four-cylinder engine. Uh, base model had a naturally aspirated 2.2-liter, uh, making 144 horsepower. Optional turbocharged 2-liter offered 197 horsepower. And the Elise S2 started out with a Rover K-Series four-cylinder, four then later switched over to uh, Toyota Power, which is pretty much what you find in most uh, modern-day Lotuses now. Uh, they're running a Toyota V6s, uh, but with Lotus uh, ECM tuning and, and stuff. So... Um, that's how you're going to get the performance uh, aspect of that with the Lotus name on it. But you don't see too many of them. Um, it, it's kind of an interesting car. It's one of those oddities. Um, it, if it came out in two th early 2000s, it's not 25 years old yet, so you have to wait another uh, several years to legally import one. But I'm sure you'd be able to find one on probably for sale now, and if you wanted to spend enough money, you could uh, import it. But it's just one of those things to show that, you know, GM does have has uh, definitely experience with mid-engine designs. Can I can I jump? Sure, in yeah, that? jump in anytime. So there's one part of that car that, as I'm looking at the picture of yeah. it right now, um, 
the Tesla, the original Roadster. Exactly. That's the other thing they talk about here. Yeah. No, you, no, you, you, you go ahead. So the Tesla original Roadster was a Lotus. It was, yeah. It, and they, I don't know how they pulled that off. Yeah. They just take their stamp and put it on top of the car and put an electric engine in it mm-hmm. and say, okay, this is our new Tesla Roadster. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, why not grab a Corvette or why not grab, you know, a Trans Am and just say, now this is our car. <laughs> I think maybe you know I I I remember reading all the stuff on on Tesla uh in the early days and I think it was just basically uh first of all volume wasn't going to be real high and maybe Lotus didn't mind getting you know some of the exposure and the uh extra cash flow by I don't know how many it was probably in the low thousands I don't think it was a, a very high production vehicle those first ones and it's actually the one that they sent into space too with the with the with the space dummy in it and it's currently orbiting our our earth right now when they did that about six months ago but yeah that that was interesting because i think at that point people were going like oh yeah tesla and and it just seemed like kind of a it almost looked like a kit car to me because it you know you knew it was a lotus but lotuses are basically almost like factory kit car because they're their, their production volume is just so low that they're pr- pretty much, you know, more or less handmade, probably, or, or largely handmade. Are you a Lotus fan or not? Uh, not really. See, no. I, I like the Lotus. No. The only two Lotuses I've ever liked were the Lotus Europa, which they call the bread box. That's mm-hmm. that really low, super low thing. The thing's like three feet off the ground. And total, I'm going to tell you why you like that one. Because they made a Hot Wheel out of that one. They did, and I had one. <laughs> yes. And I remember there was a yeah, I knew and there that. was a neighbor, and when I on the street I grew up on uh, that had 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 a uh, Europa. Not now, I didn't know that, but just the way you got excited about that car, I said, "Hmm." I did have, my, yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, and then the and, and it was funny because at the same Cars and Coffee this past weekend, there was one of the uh, other Lotuses, and I actually told my other friend that I was with, and I said, "This is one of the only Lotuses I really like, and it's the uh, Spree." And that was a, an Esprit okay, S4. Yeah. So that was the later versions of it. Because they made that car, I think it came out in the late 70s, and it kind of continued through, almost through all of, actually a, through the 80s, and I think in the early 90s. And then they, a Pretty Woman. It's a great car. It's a great yeah. looking car, I should say. Yeah, that's um, the one Richard Gere drove up in and... Yeah, it's yeah. That's a beautiful car. The other, the, I think the current helps. Lotuses don't do that much for me. I think me. it helps to have Julia Roberts jump in your car. Well, of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's going to so, help any as a any general. Car. Yeah, as a general <laughs> rule, my cars always look better. Can I tell you a funny story? Sure. About that? Yeah. So uh, my daughter hops in my Viper. This isn't to brag on my Viper, and she pulls down the the visor, and she's like, "Dad." There's no mirror in here. Like, no. Looking at me like, are you an idiot or what? You bought a car without a mirror. And I looked at her and I said, you know why? And she was completely dead, you know, dead on with what I was going to say. I said, because you always look good when you're riding. There you go. <laughs> She's like, just be quiet, Dad. She didn't say be quiet. It was a little more direct. And your Viper's the hard top, too. It's not, co- yeah, not the convertible, top, yeah. so she didn't really have to worry about her hair or anything. No, but. no hair worries. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, Mark, we're going to take a quick break here. Oh, that's great. Time for a few hot laps at the track. And we'll be right back. Be sure to tune in to Free Kicks with Adam and Rick. Our podcast highlights the best soccer league in the world. The English Premier League. We recap the previous week's games. And preview the upcoming games. I do it from an American point of view. And I do it as an authentic Brit. Accent and all. That's authentic. Right, Governor? Not exactly how I say it. (laughs) We also talk about the local soccer scene because Adam is the Illinois Youth Director of Coaching. If you love soccer. Football. Football. Tune in to Free Kicks. New episodes drop weekly. On the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. (laughs) 
On the next edition of Nude Hippo, the podcast, I chat with... Larry Potash. I know him. He's with the WGN Morning News celebrating 25 years... Of mediocrity. (laughs) (laughs) That's the next time on Nude Hippo, the podcast. Nude Hippo, the podcast. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. And we're back. Um, It's keeping in the English mode here. Uh, I'm sure, Lou, that you're familiar with the... uh, um, name Ian Cullum or Callum. He's the uh, fabled uh, Jaguar designer. Yeah, cool. And he was actually the guy that uh, he may have penned your your Jaguar, your X uh, XK8 XKR XKR. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I, I know he 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 was the one that penned the uh, Aston Martin that I own, the, the DB7 Vantage. Nice. And um, yeah, the guy's a just a just a all star basically is what he is, and he's uh, recently uh, retired or stepped down from uh, Jaguar as head of design. He was there for uh, two decades, and uh, he's moving into a consulting ro- role right now. But he also he's sixty four years old. He just uh, <laughs> this is funny because he he didn't retire that long ago, and about a month or two later it was announced that he's starting his own design design company called the uh, and they're they're calling it an all star design company because he's recruiting uh, a lot of other. Uh, famous names but i mean some of the some of the the, uh, the luminaries here and some of these people i don't know but you'll recognize the cars it says here he's teamed up with an all-star group of designers for a new project so ian Cullum is partnering with david fairbairn the man responsible for jaguar's recreation of the lightweight e-type mm. uh, adam de francesco or don francesco uh, whose resume includes the Noble, the Aston Martin GT8, the GT12, plus uh, Jaguar's F-Type GT4, and Tom Bird, the commercial director who put the Jaguar CX-75 concept car together. And these guys, I, it, it's it'll be fun to see what they come up with because I don't know if they're going to uh, work for, um, you know, do work for, uh, another auto manufacturer or if they're going to be like a design house like a Pininfarina or something like that and maybe make their own concept cars but it's going to be interesting they're based in uh, Warwick England they've got a 20,000 square foot s- facility with uh, 18 employees but I would be pretty confident that with uh, Ian Callum at the head of any design firm automobile wise um, we have the potential of seeing some pretty awesomely beautiful designs and that's the thing that I really enjoy about my Aston Martin is because no matter, I always say you can't take a bad picture of that car because any angle you look at that car, it's just gorgeous. And you don't even have to be a car person to appreciate the design of that car because it's yeah. just, it's sexy. It's rolling art. It's just so yeah. beautiful. And I've gotten so many compliments like that and comments like that from people at car shows when they're just looking at it and go, man, this car is just awesome. And that's the kind of stuff that, that he's capable of. So all the power to him with his, uh, with his new company, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what uh, may come down the line. Well, I've, I've said this before. I think cars get better looking with age. Mm-hmm. And many people who um, look at the channel, uh, the YouTube channel that I run, My Car Story with Lou, they'll, uh, they'll say that. They'll be like, this wasn't a car back in 68. I would have even looked at yeah. twice. And then there, it was, a matter of fact, one of them just recently was a Chrysler 300 Survivor. Mm-hmm. And he was like, this thing was a big family boat. I had no interest in this. But now it's got the hideaway headlights, and it's got the pointed nose on it. And you look at the long quarter panels, and you say, hmm, that 
big board, big boat yacht doesn't look so bad. No, now. no, they're they're not so ostentatious. Um, that was always one of my mom's favorite words, ostentatious. Yeah. Um, or over the top, as you think, because they were designed. That was what they were doing back then. Yeah. And they were able to finesse it enough to really make it something yeah. beautiful. And even the same thing, like when you look at my '58 Impala, sixty years on, it doesn't look goofy it yeah. looks it's got some it's got some awesome lines in it it's got that yeah. little bit of space age stuff on it and it's just yeah i agree well, with let, you 100 talk about your impala for a second because you get all these tri-5 chevy people mm-hmm. and granted the 55 56 and the 57 are all that I'm, I'm all in but it is kind of interesting that that for the 58 there was a long time i mean a long time where people are like eh, they didn't 50, pay attention eh, to it yeah eh, it's a 58 mm-hmm. it's a 59 and now those 59s, those 60s, and the 58s, I, and when I say now, I'm thinking in the last 10 years, mm-hmm. they have really kind of caught fire. Even the even the mid-60s boxy-looking cars, just the attention in the last 10 years for those cars has just gone nuts. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that's going to happen 20 years from now with the 70s and 80s Well, some, some of it's already happening because I know that the millennials are driving a lot of the early 80s cars into new heights. Um, we're seeing the Fox Body Mustangs, uh, which is a car they sold, you know, billions of, you know, you know, uh, facetiously I'm saying that, but just tons of those uh, that they sold and nobody would ever give them a second look. And of course you can get that in a lot of different flavors. You can get the, you know, the, the, the secretary types, uh, meaning the, the cars that people wanted the look, but they didn't want the power. So it could have a four cylinder, it could have a V6, yeah, LX, or then you get the LX SVTs or the yeah. SVOs or whatever yeah. with the big, you know, five liter V8 in there and stuff. And well, um, the, the SVO was a four cylinder. Oh, was it? Okay. The, S- the, S- the SVO was the four cylinder with the turbo. Okay. See, but, but back in like 86, I want to. Is say that the that. one they put in the Thunderbird at the time? Because the Thunderbird Turbo had a four cylinder. Yeah, that was 87, I believe. Yeah, but that was a hot car the, back the, then, the though. Turbo. Coupe. Yeah, it was. Yeah, the Turbo Coupe. Yeah, and uh, you could tell that because it had little dents in the in the hood or. Uh, almost inlet vents versus a hood mm-hmm. scoop. Yeah. There's no hood scoop yeah. on it. But yeah, that, that's, uh, I, I, again, let's take that car right there. I mean, no interest in that car for years and years and years. And now people like yourself, you mentioned Turbo Coupe, and we're yeah. like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Well, and I we saw one at a show uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was even telling my buddy, I said, and it was that that perfect that midnight blue color came yeah, in, yeah. and I'm like that was the hottest car in '85 for a T-Bird or '86 or yeah. whatever it came out. And like I said, a lot of the millennials are driving at it. The Fox Body Mustangs, the um, early '80s Mercedes, even the sedans are are catching fire right now because it's cars that they remember. You know, these people are now. If they were 10 or 11 in, in 80, that's 35 years. So they're like 45, 40, 45 now. I don't know if that'd be a really a millennial, theoretically, because the millennials were probably in the last 20 years. But um, but these people are recognizing these cars that they remember from their childhoods, and they're starting to get into those incoming years when they can afford these things. And you are seeing a lot of early 80s cars that, like you said, wouldn't have gotten a second look. People are... Well, they're they're... There's two things. One is the cost factor. The cost for those cars are still relatively low. Sure. And then um, taking yourself back to the 80s for a moment, when you were in the 70s, in the first half of the 70s, you owned a Cadillac, you were king. Mm-hmm. I mean, Muhammad Ali drove a Cadillac convertible. He was running the show in the early 70s, beating Joe Frazier, et cetera. I mean, so if Muhammad Ali drives one, that's the fat cat daddy caddy. 
then all of a sudden you started to get the Seville and the, the whole back end of the Cadillac was chopped off. It mm-hmm. was like an, ac- yeah. an axe hit it in the rear end. The bustle back. The bustle back. And Cadillac, you know, the Cimarron or Shimmeron or Shimron Gong or whatever you wanted to call it. <laughs> Uh, the Cimarron. The Cimarron, yeah. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden everybody's like, no, we're not really going to take a Nova, stick a Cadillac emblem on it and call it a Cadillac. I think it was a Cavalier. Cavalier, or right. A, the Chevy Cavalier. With, with leather a, seats and, yeah, with leather and seat. alloy wheels. And people just weren't buying it. <laughs> no. And at that time, that was right when the imports said, this is our opportunity. And if you drove a Mercedes in the 80s, that was... That was the Cadillac in the early 70s. Yeah, and the and build quality the Mercedes, on the Mercedes was just yeah, and that's head the Mercedes, and shoulders Mercedes above. Mercedes yeah. I mean, that's if you were, you know, you, you had something if you had prestige in that. So a lot of those cars, they sold a lot of them back then, and they're still pretty solid cars. I was going like to say, because, it, no, uh, well, they, they had rust issues, but they were Mercedes. So, so usually the people that would have bought them, at least for the first 10 or 15 years of ownership, would have maintained them pro- properly. But they were engineered to a high to a high degree, a uh, high value point, and they're, they're well-made cars, so they're going to last. Yeah. You know, and if you find one that's been re- even reasonably maintained nowadays and it might have 150, 175,000 miles on it, it's probably still a solid car, yeah. you know, as long as the body's okay. Yeah. Because they did have, you know, I've seen a lot of late 70s, early 80s uh, Mercedes that had rush, rust issues, but... Um, but then again, that's because we're in the Midwest. You know, you go somewhere else like Arizona and not an issue at all. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting how that ebbs and flows too. And you had touched on the Impala. I know about, because I've owned mine now for five years and I was kind of getting it on the, on the downward trend. Cause you're they had, you're 58. my 58. Yeah. They had peaked, um, maybe about eight years ago or nine years ago and they were just unbelievable. I mean, they were uh, 60, 70, 80 grand, and that would be maybe for a, a 348 tri-power, but the hard top and the convertibles were well over 100,000. And there's still people that try to get 100 grand for, for the convertibles now, but the, the market's kind of readjusted and, and, and values have come down a little bit. But they're, but they're at that point where they, I don't think they're going to go down much, much lower. But like you said, you know, people just discover this stuff. It's just the way that uh, kind of the car culture goes and maybe yeah. even sometimes you'll see a commercial that features a car or you'll see a tv show and people go i remember those yeah and then you start looking for one guy that even happened to me i mean i kept I, I think we touched on this in some of the earlier episodes one of my geek things is uh i like the um the 19 uh late 60s early 70s mid 70s uh detective shows like canon hawaii 50 barnaby jones and you can just see so many of the coolest cars in there ford was actually the sponsor the, the automotive sponsor so 98 percent of the cars you see are are fords that they're actually driving but even on the like the background shots you'll just see whatever's on the street but whenever they would have to get a sports car with the exception of the pantera because every now and then a pantera will will uh make an appearance on those episodes that's because uh the pantera had a 351 cleveland in it and they were sold through ford dealers but i just started seeing like a 914 because like that's when when a porsche was still kind of an exotic car and you'd you'd see a 914 in a couple episodes and i I was looking at it one day i'm like you know those are actually pretty cool and i started looking at them and this is before i bought the corvette earlier this year and i was all hot and heavy on a on a 914 but i i think i missed the boat because they're already going up in price and i just couldn't justify i mean just to get a, a halfway decent 914 now you got to lay out at least 15 grand 15 to 20 so and that was just a little bit too rich for 
you know, what I wanted to do right now with, with an additional car. But it's interesting how that works. And uh, it kind of segues into this next thing. One of the things we like to do, of course, on the Car Guys Report is talk about cars that have uh, either recently uh, been advertised for sale or have sold, whether uh, at an auction or some other way. And Bring a Trailer is one of our favorite places to look. It's an online auction site that has uh, about 200, 220 cars at any given time on, on auction. And uh, mainly imports, uh, you'll get some classics and some, uh, you know, uh, full-on uh, early, like, 30s classics on that uh, channel, but usually, uh, or website, but usually you'll get mostly imports. But this is one that, as sobs go in collectability, of course, I'll, I have to talk about sobs every now and then because I was a sob guy for years and years, and I have my uh, vintage 96 that I brought in from Sweden. But uh, one of the sobs, other than the early stuff, like the 96s and the 95s and the Sonnets that have actually, you know, already kind of established themselves in the market, the uh, what they call the classic 900 was up until 19, uh, I want to say 1994, before GM uh, kind of redesigned the car and it became a uh, basically it was based on the Opel chassis, but the classic 900 was the one that that uh, people remember mainly from about 85 through the early 90s. They had the SPG, which was the high-performance uh, version, and then the convertibles. And for many years, Saab didn't make a convertible, or they never made a convertible because they were all about safety, and they just said, we're never going to make a convertible because they're not safe. But they kind of relented and, and figured out a way to their knowledge that they could make a, the car reasonably safe. And this was before the advent of pop-up uh, uh, head uh, you know, pop-up roll bars that a lot of the open cars have. Now, what they actually did is they super reinforced the um, windshield uh, frame. And as far as, if I'm remembering correctly, um, that was enough, the way they, they, they designed it and reinforced it, that if the car flipped over, that windshield frame would not collapse. It would keep the car wow. like a roll bar, yeah. And you're seeing uh, a lot of collector interest in um, Saab 900 uh, convertibles, uh, turbos being the uh, optimal one because that's the the car that you know Saab is mainly known for in the latter part of the uh, uh, 20th century. But this one did not sell. Uh, it's one nice thing uh, on Bring a Trailer. You can either have a reserve or not a reserve. And if a car doesn't sell, it's an interesting way to kind of seeing how the market is speaking, thinking what they think that car is worth. It's not always the right way because then, like, maybe the next week you'll see, uh, you know, a very similar car that ends up selling for more money than the car that didn't sell. But this was a 1991 Saab 900 turbo convertible, five-speed. So that's kind of the combination people are looking for. And it was black. And it did not sell. It was bid to $3,700, which is not much at all. It had 37,000 miles on it. Wow. And I think the thing that held it back, and this was kind of weird because you had to really kind of look into this listing, is in, in my notes, I just said it was not perfect by any means. And it had a few things, like I think the AC wasn't working and it might have had a power steering leak. So it had these kind of like these niggly little issues that, that if someone bought that car, you, you should probably get it fixed and it could cost several thousand dollars to get that up to, to speed and i think there was maybe some accident history on it too but the car did not look too bad and i can't believe that it only um went up to was only bid up to 3700 bucks because that is like nothing because i've seen these cars in good shape uh which this one 
presented itself well looking at it just cosmetically um they can be you know a ten thousand dollar car easy and and even higher than that depending on uh, mileage but this thing only had thirty seven thousand miles on it for a sob that's like you know just barely broken in so again it's that crazy uh car world that uh that we live in you just never know what's going to go for a for a affordable price and what uh may not sell at what you think is an affordable price but um if you like what we're doing here on the car guys report mark vernon and luke costable here on the car guys report informed automotive make sure to check out some of the other programs on the radio misfits podcast network you can check out minutia men that's an opi show rick kempfer and dave stern are consumers of worthless information and every week they share their take on what they have learned and they call their podcast minutia men tune into that one it's a lot of fun and a lot of laughs with uh, rick and dave it's an opi show it's available only on the radio misfits podcast network you can check it out at radiomisfits.com great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place radiomisfits.com I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable uh, here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Glad to uh, have you along for this episode. And Lou, one thing I wanted to talk about, we touched on it when we were off the air last time, is the continued uh, increase, increase in costs of repairing modern cars. Um, I find it uh, fascinating because every time I go to the body shop that is working on my um, 75 Formula 400 Firebird, and actually I wanted to give an update on that too. I stopped in uh, recently and progress is uh, being made nicely on that car. He's got pretty much the entire passenger side taken care of. I'm getting what I'm calling sympathetic uh, paint work done on that car because it's largely original and uh, basically what we're going to end up doing is basically kind of repainting the lower half of the car Um, but he had spray outs from the original color and then they did the spectrometer which is the uh, computerized device that you can put on a a car finish and it tells you exactly what the color is and here it was faded about two two uh, colors uh, lighter than the original color of arctic blue so it's interesting how in 45 years how much it has faded so obviously we're going to spray it with that faded color so it'll match perfectly and every time i go in there i just i just a chat with him and and he just tells me the best stories because they're basically a, a production kind of auto body shop they do a lot of insurance work so they get a lot of late model cars in and it's just not you know your dad's body shop i guess is the easiest way to do it um or say it they basically sure they, they're still doing you know actual you know they'll, they'll use bondo and and paint stuff here and there but so much of it is just actual replacement of parts instead of fixing parts because there's so much that's made of plastic so if even if there's like you know damage just on one little corner of a of a uh, bumper surround that's plastic um they just take the whole thing off and replace it instead of just fixing that one spot because it's easier or quicker or that's what the insurance company says they should do and a lot of that is because as you know modern cars have you know backup sensors they have blind spot indicators they have um you know proximity sensors for for even forward motion now backward motion they have those surround uh, view cameras they just have so many different things on them and he was telling me that you know, like with with most of the cars, with the with the sensors in the in the bumpers, they have to be careful not to put too much paint on. Or if there's already one coat of paint, and they're and they're actually just repainting. If maybe it was scuffed up a little bit, they can't get the paint too thick because that's going to prevent the sensors from working properly. And then half the time when they do these, the, uh, end up replacing sensors. It's something they can't 
calibrate then within the shop. It's got to go to the dealer to get all that calibrated, and that adds another you know five hundred, eight hundred dollars to the the cost of the repair. It just keeps going up and up and up. And he had a great uh, 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 example. He had a Honda Civic. He said that came in and it was tapped in the uh, I believe it was the rear quarter panel, and he said. And, and I think one of the airbag, one of the side airbags or something went off. So in order to replace those airbags, they had to remove the headliner to get at those side airbags. And in order to remove the headliner, you had to remove the windshield <laughs> to get the headliner out to do it properly. So you're just talking about hours and hours of extra work to get at something that was, you know, not even... It was, it was a result of the accident, but it's not body damage. It's these airbags and these sensors that they had to replace. They had to replace the entire seat frame because the airbag is also in the seat, too. They have seat airbags. And Honda says you have to replace the seat frame, not just the airbag. And it was like $6,000 of extra work just to do that stuff. And, you're not, and we're not even talking about the actual paint and body work that went into that car it's just and this is on a honda civic i mean and that's not an expensive car the price of a brand new one yeah and and but again though cars cost so much these days that insurance companies are paying more and more of a percentage of the value of the car to get it repaired instead of just totaling it right away and they can go up 75 even maybe even close to 80 percent of the value of the car when it was wrecked not new, but what the what they consider to be the, the the value of the car, and they're fixing them. So I mean, it's good news for for body shops to to get that that work, but it's just it's a sense of frustration. And I was when I was in there checking out on the checking up on the uh, Firebird, he was uh, just finishing up on a Mercedes, and he was recharging the air conditioning because there was a as a result of the accident there was a a pulley or something that rubbed against uh, one of the air conditioning hoses. So you had to recharge it. And he was saying like, yeah, you know, uh, and I asked him, I said, is that still running R134A? Because that was the refrigerant that took over for, of course, R12 many years ago. But I know that there's this new refrigerant out. And it's like, I don't even know. It's like why it's like a Y and then it's like a four, four digit number. And he said, yeah, we had one of those new ones in um, a while back and we had to bring it we had to bring it to like three different dealers because some of even some of the dealers didn't have the equipment yet to do this new refrigerant and it's just like it just never ends it's just stuff stuff is getting so proprietary and so specialized that it's 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 just not what you know people are are used to and when they get that repair bill you know or, or an estimate from the body shop that's why it's like you know six pages long because it's like replace this replace that calibrate this calibrate that and it's just it's just fascinating to me because it's just not what people think and that's one reason why you know the the cost just continued to rise to to uh, repair your cars if you are unfortunate enough to you know be involved in some kind of an accident but the thing is i think what i'm driving at here is the fact that even if the the accident damage doesn't look that bad there can be a lot of collateral stuff that now they have to replace with sensors and things like that another thing too he said with this honda um they had it had blind spot monitoring on it, and he put the mirror back on and all that stuff. And of course, it wasn't working because they had to take it to the dealer to get that blind spot monitoring calibrated. So it's like <laughs> it just never ends, Lou. I tell you. Um, and then uh, 
shifting gears here a little bit, wanted to talk about uh, recently online, there was uh, one of these endless lists that come out. And I know you've been looking forward to this one, Lou. And I think I wanted to think, uh, I don't know if one of your cars, no, I thought one of your cars was on here, but uh, eight collector cars on the rise as they consider cars that um, kind of what we were talking about earlier in the program, uh, cars that are increasing in value, but it's not too late to get in on the action. So I'll just start reading some of these off and see what you think of the uh, list here. Uh, The 1993 to 1995 Ford SVT Lightning. That was that hot rod pickup they made. Have you done one of those on your channel? Well, it is called My Car Story. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Sorry. We don't do many, many trucks. However, every now and then, just because, well, it's just too cool not to. Yeah. Yeah, there is a there is so I don't have a lightning on there, but uh, yeah, the lightning is a pretty cool truck. And um, yeah, so that's one of them. Uh, this is you know, I know we call this the Car Guys Report, but we do end up talking about SUVs and trucks sure. periodically because that's where the market is headed right now. But you know, trust us, we will never forget about talking about cars because that's what we do here. We talk about cars, but. Um, so the 93 to 95 Ford SVT Lightning pickup, the 99 to 2005 Ferrari 360 Modena is uh, one of the more affordable Ferraris right now. And this is a car that I just saw yesterday at a show, and uh, I was even talking to my friend saying, yeah, this is a car that's on the list, and we're going to be talking about it on the uh, podcast. The 03 to 04 Mercury Marauder, that was uh, Ford's or Mercury's answer to the Impala SS that came out in the late 90s when they were uh, taking the uh, Corvette uh, LT1 engine and putting it in the Impala SS. I'm not sure what they did or where, do you know where that engine came from in the Mercury Marauder? Because it was a big V8. Um, I know they juiced it up somehow. I think it was like 300 and some horsepower, but they're pretty they're pretty badass looking cars because a lot of times uh, you'll see them and they'll have blacked out windows and they'll be all black and they have the bigger tires and they had uh, it said Marauder on the uh, rear uh, bumper fascia and just two big uh, dual exhausts and that that is a car and they only made it for like two or three years so that's one reason why it's 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 pretty rare and that's and it didn't sell well too it's it's weird because um, well, well we're talking a four door Taurus yeah but well it's not a Taurus it's a it was a, it was the Mercury Marquis. It wasn't okay. a Taurus. You're thinking of the um, the uh, the Taurus with the with the Yamaha. Well, the SVO. Yeah, the SVO. They had the, originally had the it had the but Yamaha. The Mar- Marauder looked like a Crown Vic. It did a Crown Vic. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and Mercury's version Mercury's was the marquee. Version of the, of yeah. the Crown Vic, so... But it looked cool. I mean, it looked like a really cool, like, CIA, FBI kind of This goes back to what car. I said. Cars will start to get better looking as they get older. Yeah, it's... The 2000, uh, uh, 97 to 2004 Porsche Boxster, and those are definitely... I mean, I've seen those as low as, you know, eight dollars $9,000 uh, online, an early 97 one. Uh, and again, that's a, it's a mid-engine car. Uh, it's a great vehicle. This is one that I've always thought, Lou, is a, is a cool car. The uh, Pontiac G8, which was the uh, basically kind of like the Holden uh, that they're making in Australia, the V8-powered uh, um, four-door sedan, 2008 to 2009 Pontiac G8. That's definitely something that I would uh, 
definitely say is an up-and-coming collector vehicle. The uh, 84 to 93 Mercedes-Benz 190. Remember those? Mercedes, one of Mercedes' first small cars. The uh, It was a four-door, kind of a th- what you would consider to be a three-box sedan. Um, and the, the one to pick, the pick-to-click there was they had one with, a, I believe it had a, a 16-valve. I, I don't know if Cosworth had anything to do with that, but it was one of the earlier 16-valve four-cylinders in there. If you could find one of those, that would be the one to get. Another Mercedes-Benz, uh, 91 to 98 um, uh, sedan. Uh, the W140 is the uh, technical term. And those were the uh, big Mercedes uh, sedans they made in 98. The uh, like the like uh, I think here they were talking about, I don't know if they were talking about the E-Class or what was the S-Class, because those S-Classes from the, the 90s were just, they were tanks. They, they had uh, double-pane glass, and they were just big and boxy, and they were incredible. You could get the V8s, V12s, and those things. Just unreal. Six miles to the gallon. Yeah, well, who cares? It's a Mercedes. You're not driving it very far. And a 98 to 05 uh, Porsche 911. And uh, those were the ones that were kind of unloved because those were the first uh, water-cooled Porsches, and they had those weird what they call fried egg headlights on them, and they had some issues with the uh, IMS uh, bearings, the intermediate shaft bearings. As long as you vetted one of those thoroughly, you can find those for pretty affordable prices too, with twenty thousand, fifteen to twenty thousand dollar range. Believe it or not, so just some uh, collector cars that you might want to keep in uh, mind here. And if you ever have any thoughts on a, a now, car that, now, now let me pause you. Yeah, sure. All right, if I'm hearing you right, you've got a nine eleven. Yeah. A Lightning. Yeah. A Modena yeah. Ferrari. A Marauder, mm-hmm. a Boxster, mm-hmm. the G8, the mm-hmm. Pontiac, the yeah. 190, and the Sedan. Yeah. Which of those two, if you had to pick two, would, would I you take? choose? I would take, uh, believe it or not, um, just for fun, I would almost want to take the G8. Because that's a pretty... That's your number one. No, no, one of two. I'm not, I'm not All right, so, saying number one or two. I would take a G8, right. and I would take... Since I haven't had a Ferrari yet, I'd probably take the Modena, but... Um, I think the G8 would be would would be a cool car. Okay. What would you do? Uh, of that list that you've just given me, um, one of them will probably make sense to you. I'd go with the 911. Okay. That would be my first sure. choice. And um, I would. You're, this is gonna freak you out because it's my car story. But I, I like the Lightning out of the out of those eight. If you had to tell me, sure, Lou, you only get two. Yeah. I would actually go with the Lightning because the Lightning was was you know an F one fifty yeah which had big it, wheels on it and you know kind of bad attitude oh it was totally yeah, yeah. it was so, awesome so I I like bad attitude in a cool in a car. good it it doesn't have to be practical to me at all that actually no I mean because that's less practical the better it is because that me. was in the same vein as the uh, the GMC Cyclone. That they yep. came out, and then the, the uh, typhoon. The typhoon, yeah, those are the two that I was thinking. Of. The yeah. typhoon was actually the the Jimmy, right, the Blazer mm-hmm. thing, and then the Cyclone was the pickup, the S ten, yeah, uh, small S ten pickup, and um, yeah, and then and then Ford, obviously, and then obviously you could say that the SVT Lightning was the um, precursor to the Raptor, right? Nowadays, yeah, and they've kind of kept that theme. So yeah, definitely. Well, um, one of them that I would have liked to seen in there, which would have been the hands down favorite. Not that I'm a truck guy, but if they were to put a little red express truck in there from like 79, 
that would have been the end of it. And you were, you were drooling over side. one of those yeah. too. But yeah, that's, that, that's exactly what I had mentioned to you. Um, the 360 under over the, the weekend. Yeah. Cause the, I, I even said that to you, I said the little red express, cause you had said, those are really cool. And I said, yeah, they are. And they were actually the first kind of factory. Truck. Yeah. Hot rod, high performance pickup truck yeah. from the factory. And those are cool. Yeah. And they're they're They have already established themselves though, as a collector. Yeah. I mean, uh, when they the put the, the side pipes, you know, facing backwards, yeah. I mean, that was just too cool. It was cool, man. <laughs> it was awesome. That's why the seventies were so great. Some, some things in the seventies <laughs> were so great. If you like what we're doing here on the car guys report informed automotive, be sure to uh, listen, subscribe and rate us as well. You can check us out on Apple podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. All you have to do is search for Radio Misfits, and when you subscribe on any one of those channels, you'll get an automatic uh, push notification letting you know that there has been a new episode added, so you'll always uh, be up to date on what we're doing here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. You can also rate us, too. We've got some... uh, five-star ratings on apple Podcasts. certainly appreciate uh those uh ratings and if you like what we're doing please take a few moments to uh, let others know what you think of the show we'd love to see uh some more uh positive ratings on the car guys report informed automotive and the best thing to do our best thing to remember about uh what we're doing here is it's entirely free all you have to do is just uh, check us out online click play and there you go. You'll have the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive playing through your uh, mobile device, your laptop, your car, whatever you have to listen to us on will be there. I'm Mark Vernon along with Lou Cossible. One of the uh, standard things we like to do on this show is talk about what Lou has coming up on his uh, ever-popular YouTube channel called My Car Story with Lou. And since he uh, recently came back from his extended sojourn taping all kinds of cars, and those are probably going to be coming out a little bit later on, but what do you got for us uh, coming up uh, on the channel, Lou? All right, well, we like to play a game with Mark, which is guess the highest amount of views now there's no right or wrong answer to this other than what the facts are from when i load a car so i'm going to give you three cars and you have to pick which sure. one was the most popular okay we'll start with a 92 ford mustang saac mach 1 in white which i think was limited to 100 hmm. okay that's, okay that's that's one of them the next one we're going to go with is a 70 ford boss mustang 429 Okay. And the last one we're going to go with is a 72 Ford Galaxy 500 two-door. I would go with the Galaxy 500 two-door. The Galaxy 500 two-door is the winner. It is. Of the group. Had 12,000 views on it. Uh, You want to go for second place? Uh, Probably the... Because I, I don't even know what that first one is that you, you mentioned. It seems like it's such a limited thing. People might not understand what that is. So I'd go with the Boss. The Boss is correct. Yeah. 3,000 views plus on the Boss, the 429. Always a favorite. You know, it's hard to go wrong with a 69 or oh, yeah. 70. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, Boss Mustang, 429. And then last lastly was the 92 Ford Mustang, which was a, a Fox body Mustang. Okay. And uh, that, that one was... Uh, carol shelby inspired okay car so yeah so more in the rare who's going to know about this mm-hmm. kind of car uh versus the other two but i was stunned that the 72 ford galaxy 500 two-door just a plain jane ford in the day <laughs> it just started racking up the views and everybody was saying exactly like you said they said we used to remember this we had one of yeah. those so <laughs> you 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 scored well good this time. good well done thank you 
Um, and what else uh, can we look forward to coming up? Well, we've got um, uh, a couple of nice 50s cars. If you like fins, there's going to be some fins on the channel. There's uh, We're just approaching 1,400 cars on the channel. So, I mean, if it's out there and it's cool, you're going to see it. So lots of fun stuff. If you go to My Car Story with Lou on YouTube, you'll find it. Uh, we've got uh, some interesting cars as well. And let me define interesting for a second. A 1981 Lincoln Mark V, uh, excuse me, Mark uh, VI uh, in white. And you kind of take yourself back to that time frame of when Lincolns in the 80s were, were still very cool. We've got a 51 Hudson Hornet that uh, will remind you of uh, the Cars movie, which was uh, Doc Hudson. Paul Newman played that role. And uh, we've got an 81 Buick Regal Indianapolis 500 pace car. So those are just a couple of them on there. Cool. Cool. Yeah, good uh, good variety as usual. And uh, you can always check out Lou's channel. It's called uh, My Car Story with Lou, and it's on YouTube. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, we'll talk about yet a possible up-and-coming car, and I have a little backstory on that. We're going to talk about the Bentley Continental R, and of course, I just sold mine, so I missed the boat if it is an up-and-coming car. I'm a day late and a dollar short on that one, but uh, we'll add some insight to uh, to the article that came out about that. And also, uh, since uh, car show season is still uh, underway, and we all like to put sunscreen on our, our arms and our legs when we're at a car show, and then we get into our interior we'll talk about sunscreen being bad for your car interior Uh, another interesting topic here on the car guys report informed automotive i'm mark vernon along with luke costable thanks so much for uh taking some time to listen to this episode of the car guys report special thanks to executive producer tony lasano with opishows.com opi is hippo spelled backwards o-p-p-i-h shows.com distributed by ed silha with radio misfits great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place radio misfits.com the proceeding was a presentation of opi productions find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts including opishows.com thank you this has been a presentation of opi productions tony can you shut up <clears throat> a lot of anchors do that <clears throat> <clears throat> Yeah, it's a thing. Are you ready? Ah, boy. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Hi, I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. That was good again. What? That was good. No, we messed it all up. What's wrong? What? How? It was going good, and then it went south. No, it didn't. Well, if that went south, see what happens now. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Hi, I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. Back to you on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. I need an agent. If you missed Los Ano Ano and friends, here's what you missed. Tony, I think we have to talk about something. All right, let's talk. You spoke about going to see Star Wars again. We need to talk about you in Star Wars. <laughs> I'm proposing that before you see Star Wars again, which I know is going to happen, we need to get at least two other movies under your belt during this viewing season. Empire Strikes Back and Return of the No, no, <laughs> sir. We need to get something that does not involve laser swords, so to speak. How many times have you seen it, Tony? Seven. Just seven. Just seven. <laughs> Tony, that's over 14 hours mm-hmm. of your life devoted oh. to watching one, in my opinion, 
pretty mediocre Star Wars. Oh, snap. That always scares me a little. In a good way. Radio Misfits. Get more. Lozano and Friends. Lozano. Now on Lozano.com. Good luck trying to spell Lozano or whatever the f*** it's called. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, a look at some famous car flops, plus a discussion about the Bentley Continental R. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Hostable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <laughs>